This is the School of Fine Arts podcast, episode 11, A Place for Me. Arts, education, conversation that makes a difference. Welcome to So Fine, the School of Fine Arts podcast with your host, Todd Hennessy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We've had a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, this is the first time I've done a show now in maybe six or eight weeks, uh, unintentional break, but it sort of feels like the start of season two. That's how I'm referring to this. And uh, really pleased that Renata Paul is joining me today. I've mentioned your name a couple of times so far. Really hoping to get you into, uh, to talk to you. So I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you for having me. It's hey, a privilege. no problem. So Renata, a uh, brief introduction. You're an assistant professor at the theater program, teaching on the technical theater side. I, I, I guess I still think of you as a designer because that's how we've worked together in the past. But I know you've got all kinds of other stuff going on including uh, how you spent your summer vacation. That's right. How did that go? It went very well, I would say. I had a great time. I went to the Netherlands, and I was doing a couple of workshops there for International Space University's summer space program, space studies program, excuse me. Okay, can you say, can you, sorry, can you say that again? You were in the Netherlands. I was in is, the Netherlands. That's cool thing number one. Yes. Cool thing number two. Is I was doing uh, two workshops. I was asked to be a guest lecturer and lead a few workshops with International Space University's Space Studies program. What kind of workshops? These were workshops on lighting design as a countermeasure for astronaut crew stress. Wow. Yes. It was pretty exciting. So I'll bet. These were two workshops that I proposed. And, well, at first it was supposed to be just the one workshop with the Human Performance in Space Department which is essentially life sciences. So within the International Space University, it's a broad space program. So there are many different disciplines. It's interdisciplinary as well as intercultural and very much international. So you have participants from all over the world. I would say there are about, this year there was about 60 or 70% space engineers. So you do get a lot of engineering participants. And you also get participants from the realms of law, policy, um, various types of academia, as well as architects, all sorts of people that go with the interest being space, linking all of them. A lot of the people work in the space industry or want to work in the space industry or will in the future work in the space industry. So you get the full gamut. And there's a couple of artists as well, usually. That's amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. So how uh, I'm just I'm totally gobsmacked. How did you get to be invited to lead workshops at the Space University? Well, I myself was a participant at the Space University in 2012. 2012. Yes. Was that long ago? Hey. Yeah, it was. Wow. It, time goes very quickly. Yeah. So that's how I got to know the Space University. No, it actually has a main campus in Strasbourg. But every year, uh, they have a summer program that is somewhere different in the world every year. So this year, it happened to be in the Netherlands because space is a global event. So every year, they go to different continents. And I've been also on alumni trips. So I tried to stay in contact through the years and visit during the summer just for the weekend to kind of stay in contact with the space community. And I've done a few space projects. Since leaving the Space University in 2012, I've tried to stay in contact and do a, a few projects here and there that link arts and space. So I've stayed in contact that way with various people in the space industry. And um, every year they do put out a call asking for people to 
do workshops and lead workshops and come and lecture and be a guest lecturer. So I decided to apply for this year because um, I had a thought that this form of lighting design is something that could move forward a little. The sense I was getting from various papers I was reading about space habitats and what was happening was that um, obviously architects are working on the interior of space cabins and things like that to help with psychological risk management of crew stressors. But from what I was reading, and I haven't read it all, obviously. <laughs> I have a day job as well in theater. But I got the sense that it could be pushed a little further in terms of what we can do in terms of lighting in these spaces. Uh, one of the biggest factors as well in the space industry, of course, like any other industry, is money. It costs a lot right now to get things into space. So they're very, very concerned about mass and the, weight. Oh, mass. Weight, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. weight of things going up into space. So they want to keep solutions light, as it were. Yeah. And I thought, well, what's lighter than light? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. So if you're introducing light as art into an environment, you get two benefits. One is that it helps the psychological health of people in general in a lot of different ways as a very sort of simple explanation. But secondly, it's a very useful solution for arts because if you think about it, given a choice of having a sculpture made out of heavy static materials, even if it's something that could morph, say like plasticine or something that you can change versus light as an art form, uh, you have the ability to really change it. It's quite dynamic and um, you don't necessarily have to change the weight. You just have the one weight of the lighting instrument itself but then the actual patterns themselves are sort of infinite, as it were, uh, depending on the instrument and what, what kind of things you're using, of course. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, you're a lighting designer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I know you understand, you know, the properties of light and how it works and, and design for the stage and things. But are you researching this? I mean, how do you get from, I guess I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is, what's the gap between, as you said, the psychological implications of this and your own work? Like how, how have you, what's the research been like? How have you conducted your research? How are you working towards this solution? This is an excellent question because this is something that's very new for me as well and it's been developing. So when I first went to Space University, I initially went in with the, this very simple question, what can art do for the space industry and what can the space industry do for artists? That was the one question I went in with in 2012 as a very broad question. Mm. I came out with more questions, of course, like anything, when you delve in. And what I realized is that the linkages are endless. They really are infinite. You can go into many forms of science, many forms of policy, many forms of art, and link those together in a myriad ways. So the most obvious tends to be things like illustration. So the very first thing that most people seem to think when I say I link art and space is they think I draw pictures of art of space. And that's fine. That's a wonderful way to kind of link those things together. Mm -hmm. But what I started realizing was the more I started deeping, uh, dig, sorry, digging into this, uh, the deeper I dug into it, I started to realize, well, my own interests are very much within the realm of lighting design. I absolutely love light. I love thinking about what it does on stage, how it works. I love connecting the artistic with the technical. And there was something in that. Like, that, that was a starting point for me was a recognition that design really does do that. It links, for example, it links the actors and the audience to the technicians. 
So you can't have one without the other with lighting as a form of art. You need both, and you need to be able to translate that as a language. And design is a link that links both arts and technology. Yep. So as a kind of a bilingual interpreter of events, it's a very useful system, uh, design in itself. So for me, I also thought, well, that's very interesting because I understood coming out of ISU that the that there was a need for a linkage between arts and the space industry. The space industry is, is heavily dominated by engineering, of mm. course, as well as many, many other people that we need. But there was a definite um, missing link there between how do artists get the best out of them into the space industry and vice versa. How can engineers and uh, people that work in the, this other form of what often seems like a bit of an ivory tower. There's a wall there between the scientists and the rest of the folk in the world. And there is a desire, though, to get that information out so that other people, the general populace, can really understand what's going on and move forward to support that so that we can actually move into the space future. Because without the support of everyone, it's not going to happen either. So I became very aware that there's a disconnect between the solution and the challenge. And that disconnect needed to be filled with this con connector, as it were, which is a, a kind of a translation in between the artists and, you know, for lack of a better word, the scientists, the rest. So I became aware that design could be a potential solution or a potential connector, and that I could play a part in that somehow as being someone in a unique position who was not only connected to the space industry through my knowledge through ISU experience, but also through you know being an artist in my whole career. And so understanding both of those sides. But not only that, but I was also a designer by trade as an artist. Mm -hmm. So that put me also in that sort of middle ground of really fully understanding what one side and the other represented. So I thought, this is it. Like This is my job, is to actually be this linkage, be this bridge. And it is an endless question of how do we work in these interdisciplinary ways. So in a sense, that core base of that interpretation and that level and understanding of who I was and what that job is, is really the base of it all, um, even, beyond, even before you get to those other detailed questions. So that was a, an important understanding for me, recognizing that until I can talk from one to the other, <laughs> there's no way of moving forward at all. So, as a start, to answer the question in a very roundabout way, that is the start of my research, is understanding how to even talk, how to speak. Just like if you're, and I don't even play the piano, but let's say I'm trying to learn the piano, there's a basic language that I need to understand before I can start composing, um, or, or like yep. anything else. You, you need to understand a basic uh, rudimentary kind of skill set of language before you can move forward in any type of research or understanding. Yeah. That's kind of where I am now, really. I'm at a very basic level. I'm, I'm still just, I'm at the entry point of trying to even continue to learn what's on both sides. So that is a large part of how I spend my time right now. Um, and partly I do that from taking science classes on an ongoing basis and going to events like this, talking constantly to scientists, to engineers, um, to people in medicine, 
um, again, to policymakers. So really trying to broaden my understanding of how do we even speak to begin to speak with one another. So that's one part of what I'm doing. And it takes up a lot of time. I can only imagine. Yeah. So uh, beyond that, then I start digging into my own questions about what I know about lighting design and then how I think that can be applied based on what I'm reading about what has been written in the research um, that I've encountered so far about habitat design. And when I say habitat, that can mean anything from, for example, the International Space Station. So it's where crew members live. And that could be future habitats, for example, people living on the moon or Mars. And what that generally means now are analog habitats. So these are sort of experimental places that have been set up, various places in the world. Uh, could be you know, underwater, Hawaii, yep. um, you know, deserts, so any place that kind of might simulate an isolated, confined, and extreme environment. So I've been reading some papers about um, work done in those environments and trying to stay abreast of what's happening in those places. And looking at what has been done in the realm of lighting and the insertion of art into those places yeah, to see how is that going. Yep. Um, of course, you know, there's only so much time in the day, but we do what we can. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so mm -hmm. it sounds absolutely, I mean, it does sound absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I imagine a good place or a place to start with, you know, developing the kinds of, of language you're talking about is presenting these workshops the summer. I mean, that must have been really useful in terms of trying to sort at least some of those issues out for yourself. Absolutely. So I went into this workshop not only thinking I'm going to present these people with a lump of knowledge, but also with the idea that I'm going in to kind of work with them in a holistic way so that they're going to give back to me, hopefully, some ideas. So it's an exchange, yep. not, not a sort of a dumping ground for knowledge, as it were. And for me, that coming out of my ISU experience, that's what I felt was at the core of the mandate and the philosophy of ISU anyway is that it very much is an exchange. As a university, it's a, um, it tends to bring in older students who have some experience, right. and they are going in to not only learn from everyone else, but also to teach the other participants as well. So I went in with that kind of a feeling um, and an, an approach. So I was giving lighting design knowledge to them but, and putting forward the research that I had um, considered or learned and wanted to jump off on and um, asking them for feedback as well. Yeah, and how, mm -hmm. I mean, did, did that go well? Were you sort of happy with how that exchange of information sort of went? I do. I mean, like any t and like anything, when you do something the first time, there's yeah. always going to be bumps. And of course, of course the big biggest bump was the raging heat wave in the Netherlands oh, at yeah. the time. It was the right. hottest day on record there, which was something else. So, you know, being in a confined, extreme yeah, environment, yeah. it actually was on. very useful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, this is a con an extreme environment. But uh, no, I felt, I felt like it did go very well. Um, there was, of course, a mix of participants. So we got um, people from many different countries. And of course, the, the other factor here is a lot of uh, them, for a great number of the participants, it's a second language as well. So that's also yep. something that they're um, working with as a challenge. And I was extremely impressed, of course, with all the participants. They really gave it their all. And I felt like they were um, really open to creative ideas. A lot of them don't consider themselves artists at all. So to, to go in and to put something forward, to put these new ideas forward and new questions forward and new information forward uh, in a very intense, you know, quick session, um, 
is not the easiest thing to do when you're looking at how do you get across all of the same information to such a wide variety of participants. Some who are used to working within an engineering sense, some who are used to working as architects, some who are, you, who are used to working you know, within the medical fields. Yeah. So you're getting a wide, wide range. So I was asking them all to do drawings. <laughs> and you know, that's not the easiest for everyone either. So No, it's not. And yeah, the more I think about it, the more I think this is a gigantic challenge. Not because uh, maybe the languages are so separate, I mean, and the willingness of people to participate in these sorts of things, no matter, no matter what your background, people you know, may not want to you know, jump up and give, depending on the situation. So it must take an awful lot of work on your part, uh, not only to prep these things, but to try and get people on sides yes. know, before the thing, talking to people. I mean, relationship building must be a huge part of this, right? It's massive. It's massive. Which also brings me to, I think, the next thing, because you mentioned, you've mentioned policy a couple of times, mm-hmm. and uh, policy makers must be a part of this. Uh, mix of dialogue yes. as well, and uh, this will sound like a leading question. I don't mean it to be, but h- how has that been? I mean, is, it, is that difficult? Is it? Is it? Are you having to convince people about the importance of what you're trying to do? Yes and no. I would say, for the most part, the majority of people that I've met through the space industry who are serious uh, about being in the space industry are open because they quickly realize, if you're sticking it out, that you have to be. And you, you recognize the fact that one thing is not going to get us through this. We need everyone, and that includes artists. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have a sense, uh, there's a stereotype that art is kind of a mm, sugary coating, as it were, on top of everything. So the, 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 there have been times when I've been speaking with people, I would say more so like the entry-level folks who are just starting to kind of crack their, you know, themselves open to ideas. They have maybe more of a challenge in accepting art as being more than just, say, an illustration or a means to lure people in. Um, so there's two challenges. One is... Really, get, yes, getting them on board that art can be more than a pretty picture, that is, is a, a process, a creative endeavor that is at the core of everything. You know, business plans can be creative by nature and mm-hmm. how they're written, not just what they are. And science itself is a creative act, of course, at its very core. So the more you can open yourself to creativity, the more that that can actually pour into you over the years if you kind of work it as a muscle. That's a hard thing to convince people of sometimes. What I've noticed is that, in a sense, the more experienced the person is in the space industry, the more that they are on board with bringing on art. Right. So, especially the astronauts, I mean, they just... They're all over it. They're they're absolutely open to it. Uh, well, and they're the ones who have to live in these environments yes. and probably have yep. a, the the deepest appreciation for what it is to live in these confined spaces and absolutely. under these conditions and what what that might all mean. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. The 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 other challenging side of it is is for myself, and this again goes back to what I was saying earlier about it's on me to explain it. This is part of my role that I've discovered is that if they're not getting that, if my ideas aren't going through, it's not their fault, <laughs> necessarily. It's mine. I need to find a way to be able to reach out. It, communication is a two-way bridge, yep. and we have to meet in the middle. So it's just as much on me 
to really try and understand why aren't they not getting this? Because as an artist, we often work on very intuitive levels, and it's hard for us to communicate process sometimes. And of course, as a Oops, sorry. as a professor or a design teacher or an acting teacher or a painting teacher, you are skilled in, learned in communicating process. So that is part of what I have come to do anyway. The tricky part is when you're used to speaking about process with a certain type of student, a fine arts student, and then you have to transfer and explain that to people who are not fine arts students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Okay, so listen, I'm going to back up and, um, uh, I don't know, I, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. But you said twice now that this is a role you discovered for yourself or something like that. This is, this is you know, a, a bit of a vocation for you now. You want to do this thing. But what... What brought you to this? And what drives you to do it? This is a fascinating thing that you're doing. I, mean, I, I can't pretend for a second to understand all of it. Uh, maybe not even any of it. But, but why? Like, what, what, what's your passion for this? Where does it come from? That's an <laughs> it's deep-rooted. I think my pa- I, I was never a kid that grew up thinking, oh, I want to be an astronaut. I've never thought that. that was, it, and so many times you hear people within the space industry who were heavily influenced by sci-fi, right? Watching Star Trek, things like that. Of course, I, I, I liked sci-fi when I was a kid, but it was never that, um, it, I never, it never felt like that strong of an influence to me and in that, it, I, you know, I want to be an engineer because of Star Trek. Um, what actually clicked things into place for me, there were, there were a few events, I suppose, in my life, and it was later for me in my life. I always enjoyed science and math in school um, as well as the arts. I was a person who liked doing everything and learning everything. When I actually went to university, my final play that I worked on at Grenfell as a student was Arcadia, and Tom Stoppard, yeah, of course, yeah. wrote that. And it's a play of ideas, very much so, and it talked about fractals and chaos theory and that kind of thing. That was my first real exposure to math outside of a classroom, I think, in a sort of a more poetic environment, a thought that math could be a fluid idea, it could be a philosophy, it could be a thought. That was the first time that was exposed to me, and it was through acting in this play. So that was the first time I thought, wow, there's something in that that resonates with me on a very, very deep level, deeper than a lot of things I've experienced. And so I didn't know what to do with that, so I just kind of left it, started reading bit of Carl Sagan here and there. Yeah. Watched Contact. I think it came out that time. I love that movie. Me too. Isn't it a good one? Yeah. So there was always this kind of romance. I love listening to Quirks and Quirks on the radio. And the idea of particles excited me. There was something in it. Um, but I never really felt like um, I'm a scientist to the core. I didn't know really what that meant. I'd been trained as an artist. I did go back to the University of Toronto to uh, enroll in an astrophysics program as a second degree. I thought maybe that could be a good job for me. <laughs> I ended up withdrawing from that program because it wasn't the right type of learning for me at that time. I found the school too big. Um, but then, years later, I think actually 2011, I ended up taking a trip to Florida just on vacation. So I think it was the first vacation I ever actually took myself on and ended up visiting the Kennedy Space Center just because it was there. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I walked through the doors, I felt like something shifted in me. It was, you know, those um, meta- those gates you walk through, the security gates. It was almost like as soon as I walked through those gates, I'd walk through this portal, <laughs> and I came out the other side, and I felt like 
this is completely absurd, but I felt like I was home. I felt like I, there's something that I have to do here, and it doesn't make any sense. It made zero sense. First of all, it was NASA. I mean, who can just walk into NASA Seriously, and yeah, say, yeah. like, this is where I need to be, yeah. especially being Canadian. I had no idea. And also being an artist. But I, you know, went around and I visited um, the Saturn V rocket and, and, and I saw the um, launch pad in the distance. And I just thought, I've got to come back here somehow. And I thought, I, I don't know how, but I have to, and not just as a tourist. So somehow in that year, I just started researching and I came across ISU and I realized that they were an interdisciplinary thing. And I started reading more about the space industry and reading up on the Canadian Space Agency website and just recognizing the fact that there was a place for artists. Because I went in with, again, with the question of, is there even a place for me in this? And so that was the question I posed to ISU and um, they actually accepted me. So that's where it came from. And so it was this sort of, all I can say is that it's a very deep-rooted sort of intuitive feeling that came yeah. upon me from being in that place. And that also it had a background in an exposure through art that opened me up to the idea that math was more than just numbers on a page, that it kind of, again, cracked open my mind to the notion that Math is a sort of a philosophy or a worldview of something that can be hidden, hidden ideas, hidden things, um, that, that it's beyond what we see in the everyday. There was kind of an invisibility there that I, was exposed to me about space and about the universe and what that meant. So that, that's where that came from. And that's where it sits in me still to this day. Yeah, yeah. So that's, it's, it's uh, very deep. Uh, yeah, no, thanks mm. for telling me that. That's really, that's extraordinary. I, I, I had no idea. That's really... Terrific. It does seem like you're a bit of a lone wolf. Are you, um, I mean, partnerships important to you? Are you developing, you don't have to go into the details, but I mean, are you developing a team of people around you or, or supports to, to can do this research? I mean, this all seems really important. I don't mean important in a dull dishwater sort of way, but really, you know, could, could be impactful in an incredible way. Uh, as you're doing this work, as you're continuing research, uh, is this community of is it growing, the, the people, the, the supports they have for, in this work? I feel like it is growing because uh, ISU is continuing, and, and I think they've been very important. And, it, and of course, the space industry is beyond ISU. I have a very strong link with that. But I, there, there is a certain network of people who are involved as artists or you know, architects or, or people who are more interested in that side of things in the space industry, the humanities side. So humanities is a core component of the school, but also if you go beyond the school, even um, I'm connected with, for example, the Canadian Space Society is a group of individuals in Canada, both professionals and um, I guess lovers of space all get together and they're kind of linked through being Canadian. And there are various conferences, summits that happen every year, yeah. as well as ongoing events, that type of thing. So I have connected through a number of artists in Canada as well, uh, through those linkages as well. So I am developing a core group and also through going to these alum events. Yep. Again, I connect with a few artists here and there. So definitely there are a bunch of them all over the world. Uh, as well as within Canada. That's kind of a core group that are artists that are directly connected very strongly with working in the space industry and the space sectors. Yep. So that is an ongoing thing. Yep. Excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, one last slight question for you. I can't help but put my dean hat on. Uh, 
publishing? Are you going to publish around this? This, this sounds like really great research. Are you going to? Are you going to? Yes, I'm. I'm hoping to publish. <laughs> uh, I, I've already published a few things through conferences, yeah. conference papers, and yeah. whatnot. But um, again, as the research is ongoing, I would definitely like to publish. I do still have a lot to learn, so yeah. I want to keep. Di um, as always, you know, the more you research, the more you realize how how much you've got to learn. So that's an endless thing. Um, but I do want to learn more. Um, about the technical side of lighting even more than I know now and uh, even more on the uh, architectural side so that I can have some language to be able to talk with engineers uh, space engineers and also I would very much like to dig into learning more about the life sciences aspect of things as well because it is such a key component of keeping crew members um, happy in an isolated environment so I definitely want to keep uh, learning on that side and connecting with people. Most likely what's going to happen next is to connect with people working on analog habitats and find a, a team in that kind of a way. And yeah. then based on what happens there, publish based on that. Excellent. So that, that would be the next step. But it, but like anything, it's not a short-term thing. These things take years. Oh, no. And I, these I, projects yeah. are, are years in progress, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the thing we didn't really talk about, and, and uh, maybe we'll get you back to talk about it, is the... Um, just the other group of designers you need to work with. Because lighting is only one, one part of this, right? Yes. You're talking about building a, a, basically a habitat for people that involves all kinds of things. Yes. Every element of it needs to be designed. Absolutely. And every element of it needs to be conducive to, you know, being happy in that space, if you like. Yes, that's right. It has to be robust enough for the space environment. And also, if we're doing it from a launch system on Earth, as it currently exists, then we need to consider those factors, i.e. getting things up in a rocket. Yeah. There are other ways of doing this that might be developed for the future and then are in talks and in development. Space elevators are another way, yeah. you know, so if we can actually make that happen, um, then that might be a smoother ride, as it were, and that might mean a development of different types of lighting. You know, if we start actually 3D printing off the moon, you know, and actually building components there, then these are other ways that we can look at doing things in the future. So, you know, as developments happen, these things develop. But budgets and looking at things like um, how much electricity is this using in the larger system is important as well. So the key is that it's not a, an isolated system. Just like within a theater, you have to consider all components. Yeah. But with this, it's really a closed loop yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you really have to be very careful about those kind of components. Yeah. It just sounds so exciting. It just sounds... It is exciting. Uh, and the, and the, yeah, just unbelievably cool. Uh, when you build your space elevator, I just want to be able to push the button <laughs> to the top floor and go. All right. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, listen, thanks so much for giving me this, some time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm just, this is so fascinating to talk about, and I'm glad you could do it. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate it. All right, cool. Thanks for having me. No problem. See ya. See ya. The School of Fine Arts podcast was recorded at Grenfell Campus, Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. The West Coast, it's the best coast.